Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. to bring us together on this show did not happen today, but on December 27, 1985, 20 years ago. Go back with me and see John Bunicor III, a 20-year-old Gibson College junior, dark and handsome, captain of the lacrosse team, a Latin and history major, with loving parents, Theo and John Sr., who sent him off for a semester abroad in Rome. It's two days after Christmas and John is anxious to get home in time for his father's 50th birthday. We see John standing at the Transworld Airlines check-in counter at Rome's Leonardo da Vinci Airport. Suddenly, terrorists begin hurling hand grenades and firing rifles at holiday travelers. John Bunicor is hit and is one of five Americans killed in the attack. Senseless killing of innocent people for personal reasons and political gain the cutting short of a beautiful life. Today, I am so honored and pleased to have as my guest on Healing the Grieving Heart, John's mother, Seal Bunicor. Hi, Seal. Hi, Gloria. Welcome from Wilmington. Is that where you are? Right. Wilmington, Delaware. Well, Seal, uh, before we move into the show, uh, I want to tell our listeners something about John's mom. Seal Bunicor is not a person who sits still. She's spoken to the families and victims of Pan, Pan Am Flight 109. She's been a guest on many radio and television programs helping out families who are victims of terrorism. She's worked with the 9-11 families, spoken to them. In 2004, Seal received the prestigious Jefferson Award presented to ordinary people who do extraordinary things. Seal's a past board member of the Compassionate Friends, and she is currently a chapter leader of the Brandywine 100 Chapter, Wilmington, Delaware. Lucille, I've introduced the events around John's um, death at the Rome Airport 20 years ago. Could you tell uh, our listeners more about the events surrounding his death? Well, I found out about John's death by myself. No one called. Got up early in the morning on the day he was to return, turned on the TV, and saw that there was a terrorist attack in the Rome airport. I made countless phone calls until someone told me that I should call the State Department. And uh, not knowing how to do that, I called our Senator Ross office, and they patched me through to the State Department. The young lady told me they didn't have the list of the dead and wounded, and I needed to call back in 45 minutes. I told her I'd call back in half an hour because I couldn't wait 45 minutes, and she told me that John was listed as one of the dead. Oh, my. And I started screaming, and she said, I need to speak to someone in control. <laughs> I need to give you a number in Rome to verify this information. And I said to her, I'm in RN. I'm in control. Give me the number. And I stayed in control for a very long time. Wow, that must have been something, uh, calling there and verifying and obviously still having hope. Right, absolutely. I thought that, didn't know, when I was looking at the television, they were showing the picture of his body on the floor. And I, I never, you know, I just didn't think about that. So one of his friends came that night and said, there he is, he's right there. 
letter C. And uh, that was on his sweater. No, that was how they identified the dead body. Oh, at letter A, B, C. They oh had quite my a goodness. few people killed. There were like sixteen people killed from many countries. And and uh, they just called him letter C. And didn't you recognize him by his sweater? Do I yes. remember you saying that? Yes, he had a ski sweater that we sent him. And he was lying face down. He had that ski sweater on, oh. and uh, it was a horrific scene that I that I was just it would run through my brain constantly. And yeah. uh, I didn't think I was going to make it. I didn't want to make it. But I, day by day, I got a little bit stronger. And uh, now I can't even conjure up the pain that I had. Mm-hmm. Now tell us about how you you found out. So you're alone on the phone with the State Department, basically. How did you? Uh, what happened then? Uh, you got in touch with your husband. Was he home, or and how about family members? And my husband and my son, my surviving son Todd, who was 16 at the time, were out on an errand because they didn't. They thought John was fine. John would be fine. Don't worry, Mom. You'll be great. When they came in and they heard what the news I had just received. My husband immediately went to bed. I had to help him. And he was, and Todd was so beside himself, I called friends of his to come and be with him. And, because uh, I had to handle a lot of things. So, uh, I'm happy to say that Todd is newly married. He's 36 now and he's doing very well and I'm very proud of him. He's been a big help with me with the compassion of friends. Ah, uh, yes, and we do want to talk about that a little later. But could you tell us something about um, uh, getting a body home and, and what happens for people after uh, there's a death overseas? Well, it was at that time they sent me a telegram and told me all of these ways I could dispose of John's body and the prices. Oh. And I had to immediately wire them. Now, this is a weekend. This is in 1985 before ATMs. And I had to wire them $900 immediately if I wanted his body sent home. So fortunately, someone was here to be able to do that for me. And the most help I got really was from Senator Roth. We have a small state in Delaware. We have two senators, and Biden was as our senator, and Senator Roth, who's now deceased, and he they didn't know when they were going to get his body home. So, now, did uh, the senator talk to you directly? Or was yes, he, he came to the House. Oh, my gosh. How, how senator that? Biden was at the funeral. They, they, they're very supportive. And uh, so because of his intervention, John's body was returned on, on New Year's Eve. Mm. And uh, it was all in lead line, completely covered in lead, so, because they always have to worry about anybody trying to ship something that shouldn't be shipped. Right. And uh, we were able to view his body. Oh, so you were? Yes. Now, was that real meaningful for you? Uh, yes. I... I I had to see him, mm-hmm. and I let the funeral director, who was also a brief parent oh. and was very helpful, and I asked him to make the decision, and he said that would be fine. You know, he, he, he agreed that, that it would be all right for everyone to view John's body because a lot of his friends were here. It was like a big party. We had 100 people in the house at least, and all mm-hmm. of his classmates who were home from college, and they were here every day. And, uh, you know, I really thought it was important for them to see him also. So you all went to the funeral home? Is that where the body was? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's quite a thing, uh, you know, quite a horrendous thing, I'm sure, when you deal with 
speaking to families uh, who've had uh, family members die overseas. Of course, uh, some of them probably didn't have the remains to see, but in talking to them, that's uh, quite a thing to get a body back from uh, overseas, isn't it? Yes, it's, it's difficult. And, uh, and as I said, I, I, I can't say how fortunate I was that, you know, we got some help. Mm-hmm. What would you suggest to people who have to do that? Well, again, I think that the best thing to do would be to contact their representative or their um, senators and uh, ask for help there because they, you know, they senators have a direct line to getting things done, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. So I would think that would be helpful. Mm-hmm. And I know that they would, you know, they, they are very big on constituent services, so I'm sure they would be. I was amazed because the young lady in Senator Ross' office, it was a Friday between Christmas and New Year's, and, and this was amazing that someone answered the phone because mm-hmm. normally people aren't there. Right. So I was fortunate. Yeah. So were you a political person before or just a citizen that was able to no, I, I get a response? John had helped with his campaign. He knew his son and he was handing out things a couple of years before. But, mm-hmm. not but nothing big. No, no, not wonderful. at all. I mean, they would do that now. Biden and Harper would, you know, would they'd be there. Yeah, that's we, wonderful to hear um, that people will come forward. Well, I spoke to the Panama 103 group about six months after it happened, and um, I told them of my experience. It had been three years in since John died. I tried to give them hope for the future. And then I, I read them my favorite poem by uh, Iris Bolton. My son, who wrote My Son, My Son, and uh, and that's um, something we say at the end of each meeting, and it's, it's a, you have a choice. You can be destroyed by it, or you can destroy others, but you have a choice. You have to accept it and go on living. Now, do you, do you know that poem by heart? Can you give it to us, or is it a mm-hmm. long, or do you have a little it's piece a of it? It's a long one. I don't know why. I'll never know why. I don't have to know why. I don't like it. I don't have to like it. What I have to do is make a choice about my living. What I want to do is accept it and go on living. The choice is mine. I thought tragedy happened only to others. But I know now that life is tenuous and valuable. So I'm choosing to go on valuing my friends and family in a way never possible before. Uh, That's lovely. And that says it all. I mean... You have your grieving time, but then you make a choice, and you have to choose to live. And uh, and mm-hmm. as we say in TCF, helping is healing. I have gotten more help by giving help. Uh, the love that you get back is incredible. And now that uh, is um, one of the things I'd like to say about that. For early grief, say in the first or second year, um, I think we're having others take care of us, would you say? Right, Absolutely. We're not really helping other people yet. No. And and uh, you were saying after three years you were you were able to to talk to the. Uh, do you think that you, what you said to uh, after three years was different than what you told the nine eleven families uh, after what eighteen years? Well, seventeen years. I'm not really sure to be honest with you, but um, I do know that I I certainly told them about the poem uh, mm-hmm. and. Uh, but what I did mostly, we, we I gave a little talk, and then we sat around and in a discussion group, and so we answered a lot of questions that they had. And uh, what kinds of questions would you think people would have early on? Well, that do you hear? 
Well, they want, you know, they, they want to die. Right. They, they plot their suicide. Mm-hmm. And we say to them, yeah. that's normal. Yeah. They look at us. And right. we say, that's why you come to Compassionate Friends, because you learn that these terrible thoughts that you have are normal. And it's okay to have the feeling. You just don't act on them. Right. And you also generally, um, it's been my experience that people don't really have a plan. They just want to join right. their family member and be right. with them. Because the pain is so difficult. And, and, uh, and that's sometimes they, that's how they feel. And it's a common feeling. So they feel better when they hear that, oh, okay, others have felt that way. Right. That they want to join their family member. And then I also have, uh, heard people, even my, my daughter saying, I should have been in the car. I should have been there. I should have been with them. Right. You know, we, and we take on a huge load of grief. Mm-hmm. We feel that, um, you know, we're responsible. I, I thought about if I hadn't insisted my son go to a school that taught Latin, he never would have had an interest in, in the classics and never, it wouldn't have gone to Rome. I mean, you can go back to the childhood and conjure up stuff that you had no control over. Absolutely, you go, you go all the way back. Right, but thinking. finally, when enough time passes and your grief work, you're doing your grief work, um, you finally realize, hey, I didn't have any responsibility for that. It was, things happen, and uh, it takes a while, but, you know, you realize. I'm right. just and grateful now, spending my time being grateful for my surviving son because a lot of people don't have surviving children, and, I, you know, my heart goes out to them. I'm grateful I have my husband, and and uh, it's gratitude that gets me through. Now, what about uh, the news about terrorist attacks today? Do they does do you think that affects you more than other people, or? Well, I think I feel worse for the parents because I know, and and for the families, I know they the grief journey they're on, and it's 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 gut wrenching, and uh, so. From that standpoint, but um, it'll be 20 years, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm okay. I right. you know it's I don't grieve every death as as if it were fresh for me. I just want to help the people through the terrible time if I can. Now, one of the things that I think of sometimes is about the uh, some of the terrorists. I think about the terrorist families, also mm-hmm. the grieving mothers there. My in Palestine was, or in these countries, uh, you know, my they, son was killed by four Palestinian youths, and they were all young. They were teenagers, and they were all puffed up on uh, amphetamines, and um, you know, they were very young, and they were influenced by by uh, terrible people. And uh, so, I agree. It's, there's enough grief to go all around. Yes, and I think about the families where they're asked to see their children as martyrs. Uh, you know, for the cause, and they're not supposed to grieve. And I know that uh, in Palestine, for instance, there are some mothers' grieving groups that get together, you know, to deal with it. Absolutely. So it, it uh, you know, your heart goes out to everyone. So um, can you tell us some things that people did specifically that helped you? Hmm. Do you remember well, just any? being there, um, you know, my, my girlfriend uh, from New Jersey was always here for the important dates. She, she always knew and um, I had so much help from so many people. I mean, um, but, you know, as, as it happens normally, after a couple of months, people go back to their to their regular jobs. And, and if they, you know, anyone that who hasn't lost a child doesn't have a clue. I thought I was very empathetic. I'm a nurse. I thought, oh, yeah. you know. But 
when my child died, I, you know, it's, it's, if you haven't had it happen, you don't understand. And, uh, so. Well, there's you know, a certain depth that's there that, uh, I had worked with a lot of families who'd lost children. I'm sure you had too as a nurse. And, and you just, the experience is so physical, wouldn't you say, too? Yes. Physical, emotional. Yeah, there's such a huge physical hit that right. I think takes some time to recover from. And so your friends may not be all you wish they'd be, but they don't understand. They they don't understand what the loss of your child does to you. And uh, what I tell my people in Compassion of Friends is you're the teacher. We are the teachers to let people know. That, mm-hmm. You know, some people just think you should be on, go on with your life. You know, it's been three months now. Time to... Get on with everything and forget about that. And you know, that's why a support group is so helpful. Because did, did you did you experience anger at the terrace? Or I was fortunate. I I didn't spend a lot of time in anger. Um, I think I was well aware that tragedy could be, you know, could happen to anybody, and I was not, you know, I was not. Do you see other people with a lot of anger? Yeah, or? I do. My husband was very angry. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, as I said, I, I just was so fortunate that I didn't feel that way. I was very involved with, you know, helping my son and my husband, and uh, and that was what, and I, I took care of an old gentleman. I was doing private duty, and I had to get back to work, and, and I was back at work for two weeks, and, and I kept busy. So mm-hmm. I think that's why I didn't have time to really. I, I did talk to or hear from a lot of world leaders. Margaret Thatcher, President Reagan, of course, sent a, a letter and um, a lot of concern. And I wrote back to them because I, you know, we all want to stop this. And what kinds of things did Margaret Thatcher say? Do you remember? Well, she. I had sent her a picture of John. She sent. She told me how handsome he was and how, how the goodness shone out of him, which any mother would like to hear. I had thanked her for letting the planes that were bombing Libya flying over England because France wouldn't allow any of the planes to fly over. And uh, she wrote me back and you know said she was happy to help the U.S. in any way that she could. And what about President Reagan? What did he say in his... He, he was quite an eloquent man. Eloquent man. Yeah, I, I have his note. It was a very short note. It was sent from Air Force One, and it just said that you know they uh, they were grieving the loss of John. And, uh, uh, it was really just about two lines. But I've had eloquent letters from from uh, people all over the. When John died, it, everyone knew that my son died. A lot of times, people say that you know they didn't know. This person didn't know well. Everybody knew because it was on the cover of every magazine, every newspaper. It was, and I had letters from people all over the world. Beautiful letters. People I didn't know. People that sent money. Uh, there's more good people out there than bad, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. It's time for us to come up on break now. And when we come back, um, I would like to talk a little bit about maybe some of the things that you did with the money or ideas that you had and also about, you're talking a little bit about the press, that it was on uh, the front page of magazines and things like that. And I would like to talk about the good aspects of that, but also some of the issues when you are in the public eye over a, a very private event. We have a uh, call in, Lou from New York. Lou, are you there? Hello. Hello, Sue. Hello, Dr. Gloria. 
Oh, hello, Lou. My name is Lou, and I'm calling you from Larchmont, New York. Hi, Lou. Uh, I want to thank you for the show. Uh, I'm very sorry to both of you for the loss of your sons. This is a very important show. I'm calling because my wife suggested I call in. Uh, I'm dealing with my own loss. Uh, our daughter was killed in the World Trade Center on 9-11. Uh, she was wonderful. I'm very angry at the world, especially the terrorists. Okay. I want to drive down to Manhattan and line some of these guys up on my hood ornament and drive them drive them down. I want to run them over. I'm so angry. I know in my heart this is wrong. I know these thoughts are wrong. I bet I can't get over my anger. I need your help. It sounds like you're making it through. How did you do it? Okay, okay Thank Lou, you. thank you for calling in. It sounds uh, like you've had a horrendous certain event. Uh, Seal, do you have some thoughts for Lou? Well, is he getting any counseling for this anger? Yeah. Uh, Lou, are you getting any counseling? Yes, I am. Are you getting? Are you joining any groups? How about yes, groups? I am. There, there are parents' groups, uh, survivors' groups, and there are many, uh, many organizations here to help us, but I still... I still struggle with getting over this anger. I just feel it was so wrong what was done to your son, to my daughter. How about and your there's wife? There's no reason for it. How is your wife ain't handling this? She seems to be handling it a little bit better than me. Um, she seems to reach out more to these groups than I do. I, I often just want to stay home alone and think about it. Yeah, well, I think maybe I ought to go to a group with her, stay a couple of Go to a couple of times to see if it could help. We always ask people to come that come to us, the compassionate friends, to go at least three times. Are you exercising? Could you go to the gym? No, I think this this whole tragedy has turned my world upside down. Uh, things I used to do before socially and exercising and my lifestyle, I've just dropped everything, and I just want to stay home alone. It's really hard. Exercise would help get rid of some of that anger. We tell people to, to get a baseball bat or a foam one and hit, you know, hit a bed or hit uh, something that nothing, you, you can't hurt anything. But you, I would say you need to get out. You need to, to move. You need to go to the gym. You've got to force yourself. Yeah, that's a the good point. Thing. Sometimes you don't want to do it. Now, right. Lou, uh, let me ask you this. Could you uh, commit to us to go to a group? Could you commit to three times to go? to a group and stay there and uh, maybe um, to yourself and to us uh, commit to maybe doing some exercise for two weeks? Well, I'm so desperate, Dr. Gloria, that I will commit. There's there's nothing else that seems to work. So I will go three times to a group and I will exercise. But I'm just so angry at, at this loss and I miss my dear daughter so much. It's it's just been so hard. Oh, well, thank you for calling in. And listen, could you, could you keep in touch? Uh, send me an email and let me know how things are going. Yes, thank you, Seal. Thank you, Dr. Gloria. I'm not far from Larchmont, so. Well, yeah, you. I could give you, you email me and I could give you Seal's uh, number. All right, thank you. Okay, okay. thanks, Lou, for calling in. Bye-bye. Have a great day. Thanks. Bye-bye. And then we have another call. Um, that sounds like, are you, uh, before we take our next call, uh, I know you said that your husband was a little more angry than you were. Yeah. doesn't sound like he was quite that angry, or he was? Uh... At times he's still angry, even today. But he's he uh, he's doing fine. He was I don't you know he was able to go to work and to to uh, function and uh, 
And I think that uh, just being here with me, who kept him moving, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think some of my nursing skills came into play here. Well, it also sounds like Lou's wife is a little more together in helping him. So right. I guess one of the things I'd like to say to Lou um, on this show, too, and to other men, it's normal to be angry. Right. And I, what I should have asked is, is he reading anything? Like yeah. swallowed by a snake, which is about men's grief. Oh, swallowed by a snake. Right. It's and deep. another good uh, good book on anger following the death of a child. Mm-hmm. So I know that if he went to Centering Corp, he probably could uh, find out a whole host of books that would. Right. So look on the Internet at Centering Corp, Lou, right. and, uh, and other people that are feeling this anger. Okay, uh, so we have another call, uh, Cindy from New York. Cindy, are you there? Yes, hi. Hi, Cindy. Hi, Dr. Gloria and Sue. Hi, do you have a um, question for Sue or I or a comment? Yeah, I have a question. Um, I, I thank you so much, I just wanted to say, for having some a show on um, terrorism because people don't understand the unique stressors that someone is under after such a public loss. Um, my brother was killed in the World Trade Center attacks, and my question is for Seal. Um, my problem is the constant reminders that are in the media, on television, in the newspaper, um, most recently, there's been 9-11 tapes that have been released to the public, and I can't seem to get away from all these reminders, and it really sets me back. And I just wondered, still if you had any advice. Well, in my case, the press, is, there was a lot of press on it, and then a month later, the Challenger blew up, and I found out how fickle the media is because I was old news, but 9-11 will never be old news. I think you just have to limit your access to this. I think you okay. I have to stop watching the television and and uh, and stop uh, all of these things from coming into your life. Mm-hmm. Because you know, nine eleven is always going to be front and center. And uh, I would just be very selective of what I watched on television, what I listened to on the radio. Because you just have to eliminate some of the stuff from your life. You know, my heart goes out to you because, as I said, the media moved on for me, and and, and that was a good thing. But uh, they, you know, they still show John's body on the floor in Rome. In fact, they showed it during the 9/11. And uh, fortunately, you know, I didn't see it, and I'm okay with it now. But I don't know how okay you would ever be with all of the different uh, parts of of the TV coverage. Yeah, I know. Uh, some families have, a uh, uh, woman was telling me who her husband was killed in 9-11 that she doesn't take the newspaper all the time. She'll take it sometimes and then she'll call up and cancel it and, and uh, does not watch the news. Well, you know, this may sound silly, but I was just reading in Vanity Fair a little article about Jennifer Aniston. And what she said is, just, just to keep the pain away, she, she doesn't read any of this stuff, mm-hmm. you know, between her and her former husband. And, right. and, and I think that's, you know, it's probably not easy to do that, but I think you have to. Yeah, sometimes it probably just hits you, you, right. you know. Uh, do you go to a group? Yes, I am. I do go to a group. I go to a group for people, survivors of 9-11. So, so, and that's very helpful because I feel like we have unique, like I said, it's, we have unique stressors. Mm-hmm. 
and um, those people can understand what I'm going through. Absolutely. So that's, that's been that's what although I the, the support's been very very helpful, and I really appreciated the support of the world. It's also at times been overwhelming. Yeah. Well, well, listen, Cindy, thank you for calling in, and good thank luck. Thank you. I, you I really appreciate it. And uh, good luck in your journey. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks. Well, that, that's interesting. With it. We've had two calls about the 9-11, so yeah. um, uh, this is uh, having this as a topic for the show. They might reach out to the Pan Am 103 people, too. Yeah. I know Pan Am 103 is helping them. I know some of the people involved, and Bob Minetti is... Uh, a father of a, of a son killed in the Pan Am 103, and you know they they have a support group too. I'm sure they they would be happy to reach out to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that may be an idea for uh, Cindy. I'd like to read you an email. Uh, this email is from Susan from Palo Alto, California, and Susan says, "My daughter was killed five years ago. I got some help from a local organization called Cara. Since listening to your show, I have wanted to join a compassionate friends group." But there is none in our area, and I would like to know how to start one. Could you tell Susan how uh, to go about starting a group? I know you've been uh, head of a group, the Brandywine group. Is that what it was for how many years? Eight. For eight years. How would she go about doing an organization? Just go to our national website, and it's uh, it's right on there. That she clicks the button, and uh, and she will be brought into the national office, or she can call our national office and ask them that question. Ask for Terry. She's in charge of chapters. And I can give her the phone number. You want to give her that number? Yeah, the toll-free number is uh, 877-969-0010. And that will bring into our national headquarters, and she can ask them how to start a chapter. And they may be able to tell her of a chapter closer than she thinks. Okay, and they also um, have training for chapter leaders. And, right, uh, we do. All sorts of support. Right, and uh, she could also uh, click on one of the buttons that says uh, Chapter Locator, and it tells you all of the chapters in the different states. She just has to put in California, and it will give her a whole list. Okay, and that's at CompassionateFriends.org. Absolutely. Great. Uh, so could you tell us a little bit, I know you've said to me before that Compassionate Friends saved your life on was was that the correct verbiage? And I wondered how you got involved with it, and did your husband go, and what would it be like for our listeners? I always say I could get my husband a compassionate friends, but only in a straitjacket, <laughs> because he's not, you know, this, it would not be for him, but he's been wonderful and supportive and helpful behind the scenes thing. But support groups aren't for everybody, and and uh, support group is not for him. But... Um, this is a good point. You can go without your spouse and still, right. you know, benefit from the group. Your husband could go without you. Right. Absolutely. We have we have husbands that come without their wives. But, you know, I didn't have a group. Like PNM 103, I kind of, I know this sounds strange to say, but I kind could of Could you say that um, the Pan Am 103, could you tell our audience a little bit about them? Their airplane went down. Right over Scotland, over Lockerbie, and and it killed over 200 Americans. A lot of them were students returning from a semester in college. And um, I, as I said, it was in the East Coast. I got to know a lot of these people, and they had each other. They had their own support groups. They had, and I didn't have any support. I, John was the only body that came home. Some of the other Americans, uh, I never knew how, to, knew how to get in touch with them. So TCF was a big help to me. 
and uh, we just had a chapter start just right after John died, and we had like four people at a meeting, and I'll never forget, I had one gentleman there, I was complaining that I didn't hear from some of my friends from out of town, and he said to me, you've got to forgive your friends, they don't understand, I thought, yeah, right, and then he told his story, and his story was that his daughter was abducted, raped, and murdered by a serial killer. Oh, my. And I thought, oh, my God, if this man can tell me that i got to forgive, what a message. I have never, ever forgotten it. And, uh, and so that has helped me a great deal because here I am dealing with a terrorist attack. On a scale of 1 to 10 of how your kid could die, that has to be the worst. And, uh, and this man was coming to meetings and, and talking about forgiveness. Mm-hmm. So it's amazing. Yes, uh, that's the, the amazing thing about the Compassionate Friends is that it is a totally voluntary organization. And how many paid employees are there? Five? Right. Our executive director and four employees in uh, in our national office. And they do yeoman duty, that's for sure. They do a wonderful job. And there are, what, 600 chapters in the United States? Right. And how many are there worldwide, do you know? I'm not sure. But we do have, uh, again, on our uh, on our website, if you click one of the buttons, it tells you the international chapters. So there's an awful lot on that website you can learn. Could you tell us something about the Jefferson Ward? I love the, the idea that it's given to an ordinary citizen for doing extraordinary things without remuneration. Is that what it yeah. is? Yeah, it was founded by Jacqueline Kennedy, and she's the one that wanted to to reward people that, do things in all walks of life. And uh, it's been, uh, what happens is someone has to nominate you, and unbeknownst to me, one of my members sent information in. And then uh, they have, at the state level, they select five finalists, and I was one of the finalists. And then it goes to the national level. Now, do you have to go somewhere, give a speech, or on the state level, or do anything, or does it just... No, um, I, when I accepted the award, I did give a little speech about compassion to friends, just a few minutes. But uh, it's really the people that write in about you as to whether or not they think you should be rewarded for, for the services that you've performed. In. And uh, I was fortunate. I had a, an overwhelming number of people that wrote in. And uh, again, as I said, you know, this helping is healing because you get back more than you give, that's for sure. And I've been very pleased with that award. Yeah, oh, it's a wonderful. I love the, the idea of the award. It's wonderful. And Jacqueline Kennedy uh, was the one that started it. It's great. Now, is there anything, you just get a little plaque, or is there anything special you do with it? Well, I have a, a nice little plaque, and uh, and I help identify people who uh, could be nominated now for oh. Jefferson Awards. We have it's amazing to me constantly amazed that that we take this terrible, terrible grief and turn it into something wonderful to help others. I mean uh, just in my chapter alone it's it's amazing. We had a mother and father who lost her only child in a car crash. she didn't have a seatbelt. They helped get a, a primary seatbelt law in Delaware. I mean, I could go on and on. We had a a, a sister whose brother was had a marker placed in Florida where he was killed, and we didn't do that in Delaware. Well, we now have a, uh, a memorial park mm-hmm. at a beautiful rest stop 
where bricks are written are in the name of the child and they're I mean it's just amazing the things that you know that's something I might say to Lou to help with his anger is to turn it into doing something wonderful in memory of his daughter. When my son died, I, I got a letter from a friend of mine. She said, you know, Wellesley College was founded on land given in memory of a deceased child. And Stanford University. I, that's what I was going to say, Stanford University. So and there's Leland so Stanford many Junior. wonderful things that you can do to, to memorialize your child. Help TCF would be, I always recommend. But there's so many ways. And I'm, just in my small group, we have parents who are involved with heart of son died of a heart ailment, and now he's helping get every athlete screened. Mm-hmm. It's amazing, and that's what you need to do. You need to turn that terrible anger into something positive to remember your child, and your child will be helping so many others. And don't you find that uh, you lose some of the fear of doing things? Absolutely. If anybody ever told me I just gave a speech to 900 people last year, I never would have been able to do that. I mean, it, it, John stretches me all the time. I'm doing things that I never thought I would do. Yep. And I mean, all I, in his yeah. memory. Here I am doing an Internet radio show on right. this topic. I never thought I'd be doing anything like this in my life. And doing it so well. And doing it, oh, thank you, and doing it in memory of Scott. And right. one of the things that I love that we say at Compassionate Friends uh, is that I do this in memory of my child. Absolutely. Whenever I do anything for TCF, I always wear John's picture because that's honoring him. A little button with his picture on it, right. which we uh, wear at the national conferences. Absolutely. And there'll be a conference in um, Dearborn, Michigan. Dearborn, next July. It'll probably be. They'll start putting information on the website probably in a couple of months. And that will be a wonderful conference with many workshops. Well, Phil, I want to thank you for being on the show today. You're a wonderful person, a wonderful example, and uh, I'm so pleased that I have been able to meet you in my life and have you as part of my life. And talking about uh, how you've dealt with John's death and um, and helping other families, it's been a wonderful thing, and uh, I just appreciate you so much. Thank you, Gloria. I feel the same. And um, we're going to close the show now, and... Uh, Again, I want to thank Seal, and you really inspire me, and she's clarity, wit, strength, and you're an inspiration to everybody suffering from payment of bereavement. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.